The first reading this morning comes from the book of Zechariah, chapter 14. It's on page 674 in your pew Bibles. A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Isaiah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. On that day there will be no light, no cold or frost. It will be a unique day, without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord. When evening comes, there will be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea, in summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord, and his name the only name. The whole land from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem, will become like Arabah. But Jerusalem will be raised up and remain in its place, from the Benjamin Gate, to the site of the First Gate, to the Corner Gate, and from the Tower of Hananel to the Royal Wine Presses. It will be inhabited. Never again will it be destroyed. Jerusalem will be secure. This is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. On that day, men will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. Each man will seize the hand of another, and they will attack each other. Judah, too, will fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of all the surrounding nations will be collected, great quantities of gold and silver and clothing. A similar plague will strike the horses and mules, the camels and donkeys, and all the animals in those camps. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. If the Egyptian people do not go up and take part, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the the Feast of Tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. On that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, and the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty. And all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. And on that day there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading today is from Revelation chapter 22 on page 879 of your Bibles. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, 
flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. This is the word of the Lord. We can go back and forward with this uh, all morning. We perhaps will. Let me uh, add my welcome if you're, if you're new, visiting, just returned. It's great to have you amongst us. Uh, we're looking again in Zechariah. It'd be great to have that opened in front of you. Uh, it's our last part of Zechariah. For those who've been with us for the last little while, that may be uh, for some rejoicing. It's, it's an unusual book in all sorts of ways. It's picture language and pictures that we're not used to seeing. Uh, we're, we're finding ourselves two and a half thousand years ago. It's, it's a bunch of people who've returned to a disappointing uh, return to God's land. Uh, it's, a, it's a book all about what God will do rather than so much what we will do. Uh, a book to inspire and lift our eyes and our hearts and see something is greater than our current circumstances. Um, hopefully that's been enough time for you to find it. Zechariah 14, how about I pray uh, that God might speak clearly to us through it. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for the goodness of your word. We thank you that in your word we can find life. We thank you that in your word we can have real hope. Father, we pray now as we look at your word and spend time considering it, uh, that you would show us ourselves more clearly, that we would see our failings but at the same time see your grace. And Father, we pray that you, by your spirit, would fill us with a passion for the things you're excited by. Uh, Father, reform us in uh, the image of your son, we pray. Amen. A day is coming. A day is going to be coming when the whole world will see that there is one God. A day is coming when everyone, without fail, uh, will know that there is one king and he alone will be worshipped. That's Zechariah 14's great picture. The day is coming and yet... It can feel a long way off, can't it? You know, it feels like a long way off when everyone's going to say, yeah, there's only one God. Uh, at the moment, um, the stats say uh, that about a third of the world's population claim to be Christian. And given that two-thirds of Australians claim to be Christian and that any given Sunday there's only 4% of them at church, you kind of go, I'm a little sceptical about those figures anyway. 
you can feel a long way off, can't it, where everyone's got to acknowledge, yeah, there's one king. Now, there's, I suppose, against us an increasing uh, vocal minority of atheists who uh, would be very sceptical about the prospect of that ever happening. And we experience, perhaps not their jibes, but the, you know, maybe the condescending looks of people at work when you kind of tell them you spent the weekend at church and that you do follow after Jesus and that he really matters to you. And then, of course, there are those own moments of doubt, you know, moments where you wonder why the living God seems so silent or you wonder why his rule seems to allow such chaos or, or you wonder why the, in all these hardships he seems so invisible. You know, that we can say the day of the Lord is coming and yet it feels a long way off, doesn't it? And yet Zechariah, along with others, wants to proclaim loudly that a day is coming. 14 verse 9, The Lord will be king over the whole earth and on that day there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. A day is coming. And I want to say this morning what we need to do is catch something of that vision uh, so that it actually shapes our experience now. That, that's the whole point. It's much like uh, Martin Luther King. Um, you might know his speech, a fantastic speech. It's one of those ones, I, I, you know, the I Have a Dream speech where um, I can watch a, a clip of it still and it, I wasn't around at the time, but it sends shivers down my spine still. It's, it's this beautiful vision and it's rightly gone down as one of the great speeches of all time. You know, I have a dream that, that my four children will one day live in a nation where they, they won't be judged by the colour of their skin but by the content of their character. You know, I have a dream today. And Martin Luther King intentionally, self-consciously, was using the kind of language that Zechariah used. Repetitious, the day. You know, Martin Luther King looked forward to that day. He had a dream today of a day when things would be better. Why? So that people would act now, so that people would be excited, so they wouldn't drop off in sleepy inaction, but rather they would see a picture of what will be and be excited about it and set their hopes there. Uh, Dorothy Height, who um, sat on the platform uh, behind Martin Luther King that day, said, I think it was a decisive moment in American history. It changed attitudes. Righteous indignation against racial discrimination became widespread after the march. It led to a time so full of promise and achievement that you could feel it. So he dreamed a dream. He painted a picture so that other people would share that dream and be just as excited about it. And I want to say, as we read Zechariah 14 again, you've got to imagine it's kind of Martin Luther King doing it. All right, maybe that will help us kind of bring it to life. Um, I, I didn't challenge Liz before to... Um, I mean, she conveniently put on that American accent for us. Um, but I uh, didn't make her do the voice. You know, because it, it's that passion and that tone that Zechariah is sharing a dream with us, a vision, that we might live that kind of vision and long for that dream. So the pulsing beat throughout it is the coming day. There's this pulsing beat. So you might remember chapter 12 and 13... Nine times it mentioned there, on that day. He does it again seven times here, on that day, on that day, on that day. It's the pulse, it's the thump, it's the feel. Uh, it's what Martin Luther King was kind of self-consciously copying. Uh, it, it's a technique to lift your hope because they're in underwhelming situations and they needed to see something greater. And today, that's what we need to feel. Lift our hearts, our minds, our ambitions and see the day that God will bring about, not just what we'll do. But Zechariah, interestingly, at the start of chapter 14, verse 1, gives a little irregularity to the thumping beat, to the pulse. A day of the Lord is coming. It's a little bump in the rhythm 
to show us that it's, it's not so much about the day as much as it's about the Lord's day. See, the day of the Lord is coming. That's the exciting bit. It's a day when God himself will come and deal with the whole world. It's a day when he'll come for battle. So the language is graphic and the picture is violent. Verse 2, he'll gather these nations and great suffering will happen to God's people. But then, verse 3, the Lord will go out and fight against these nations as he fights on the day of battle. See, when the Lord comes, he comes as the Lord. Um, He's not Israel's lapdog. He's not a lucky charm or a vending machine for the people of God. God doesn't come to do the bidding of his people. That's why, first of all, he gathers the nations against them. But in his mercy, he still defends them that they're not overrun. You know, the day of the Lord is coming, but, but don't be fooled into thinking that it's a day that's devoted to fulfilling every whim you have. You know, it is not your day, it is the day of the Lord. And the day is coming, but it's still good for us, even though it's his day, it's great for us. It's a day of salvation for his people. Um, verse 4, uh, he will come and he will split the Mount of Olives. Um, quick geography lesson, the Mount of Olives was just to the east of the city of Jerusalem. Um, you might know it famously, Jesus hung out there quite a bit. Um, it's much higher than the city of Jerusalem, higher than even Mount Zion where the temple is. And so you can climb Mount, Mount of Olives and look down over it, which is great for a view, not so good if you're being attacked and want to run away. Uh, it basically hemmed you in. So that traditionally they were attacked from the other side and you were stuck. No, no, but on this day, on the day, God will come and he will split it. And so there'll be a valley and they can run and escape and get away. It, the day of the Lord is coming and, it, and it's going to be confronting with, with the earth shaking with God's power. But it's about liberation from his people. Just like that time when, when in Moses, in the Exodus, when the Red, P got, Red Sea got split and parted and people went out, well, this time the Mount of Olives will be split and redemption, liberation when the day comes. See, on that day, the world is going to be transformed as God entirely reveals himself. See, on that day, it's going to be a day of new creation. So in verse 6 and 7, the day is unique. That is, it's got this, this unending type of quality about it. It's like the seventh day of creation. You know what happened on the seventh day? Well, nothing yet. We're still in the seventh day, Hebrews 3 and 4 will tell us. It's still ongoing. It's a unique day. Um, and this, like it, is a different day. It's got this paradox of light and no light. So the old creation is going to go and the new day is going to dawn, but you're not going to have that uncomfortable bit. You know, I don't know what time you got up out of bed this morning, but if it was fairly early, you'll notice it was a little bit uncomfortable. It's a little bit cold, dark, and it's frosty. No, this day, the change is going to happen without the uncomfortable bit. Okay, It's going to be this brand new day, though, where... The frustrations of the exhausted planet, the the oil spills, the earthquakes, they'll all give way because there is a unique day when the Lord comes, a day of light and glory. And on that day, all life is going to be restored. So verse 8, streams of living water are going to flow out. It's meant to go, it's a bit like Eden when God first made creation, but it's better. So on that day, all life is going to be sustained abundantly. And the ebb and flow of seasons is gone. There's no kind of summer-winter problems. There's no frozen over things. No, no, if flowing in all directions is life. You might remember Jesus spoke to a woman at the well about how he could offer springs welling up to eternal life. He spoke of how he could give life and life to the full. He spoke about how he could offer satisfaction so deep that it exposed the shallowness of where we naturally look to for satisfaction. 
So if you remember that incident in John 4 when he was there with that woman, what he was doing was, as he offered it, he was exposing the emptiness of, of her serial monogamy, of her longing for relationships that would satisfy. And he said, no, 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 I can offer satisfaction, life abundant. And on that day, we will be truly satisfied. Our desires will be met. Our longings will be fulfilled. Uh, abundant living water will quench our aching souls. You know, on that day, the whole of the world will recognise the Lord as king. So that key verse is, is verse 9. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. See, what, what he's doing there, he, he's kind of playing with something good Jewish people knew. Uh, it's called the Shema. Um, and you probably know it too. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. You know, there is only one God. All the Israelites knew that. You know, here is a statement that says there's nowhere else you can turn to. You know, Allah's not God. The God of Hinduism, or the gods of Hinduism, they're not gods. Money's not God. Reputation's not God. Power's not God. Humanity's not God. Um, as Robin pointed out to us before, you and I are not God. The Lord is one. He is the only one. And on that day, it's not just going to be true Israel, Christians who declare it. Uh, actually, the, the whole of earth will recognise that there is only one name, the Lord, whether it's willing or unwilling that they recognise it. See, on that day, this day to come, those who want to make war against him will be crushed. Verse 10 and 11, um, God's people, Jerusalem, first of all, are going to be elevated to safety. They're going to be protected. They'll never ha again have to be afraid. But in verse 12, those who continue to rail against the true king will suffer. You know, like the plagues inflicted on Egypt uh, in Moses' time, the, the enemies of God are going to be struck down. Now, like the Exodus, if, if you remember the story of, of the Exodus, you know that they left, these ex-slaves, the Israelites, left with all the wealth of Egypt. They plundered the Egyptians. The same thing here in verse 14. God's people will plunder these enemies. Now, those who want to keep fighting against God will get what they deserve. You know, no one goes to hell realize, not realising that God is the king. They all realise it. It's just they don't want to worship him. They keep shaking their tiny defiant fists even to their hurt. But on that day, our true worship and blessing will actually become normal. You know, so survivors, even from the nations who fought God, they're going to come back in verse 16 and they're going to start worshipping. You know, so God's kingdom, this, this day, it's an inclusive kingdom. You know, even people who fought against God, they, they can come and join in. He welcomes them back. He doesn't care about their background, rich, poor, fat, thin, black, white, educated or not. Welcomes them in, embraces them all. It's not universalism. There are some who will miss out. But the, the invitation is open for all. And those who come and choose to worship will join at the Feast of Tabernacles. Suspecting we don't know that one off the top of our head. Uh, the idea that tabernacle is a fancy word for a tent, um, so the Feast of Tents or Feast of Booths, um, it was a special kind of week long party that people would have at the end of, of harvest when you just delighted in all God's good provision and you particularly remembered the time where for 40 years after they left Egypt they, they had to wander around the desert. They lived in tents. God looked after them. Great chance, let's all get in our camping gear and we will remember God looks after us. We will remember his provision for all. See, on that day, everyone will be holy and special to the Lord. 
In verse 20, there's that inscription um, that used to just be on the, the, the high priest's turban, holy to the Lord, i.e. the most special, you know, once a year. No, but that's going to be everywhere. You know, kind of, we'll write it everywhere. Hey, let's put it on the horse's bells. You know, everything can be holy. Uh, you know, we don't have to worry about special cups and plates. It's all holy. It's all set apart and special for God. You know, we're not going to enviously sit around and watch and go, gosh, that person over there's got the better spot near God. Uh, they're a little bit holier than me. Um, no, no, no. We will all be holy. We all share in that. You know, that the, the temple traders or, or the Canaanites are no longer around. That is, the, the people who kind of sold stuff in the temple courts, i.e. corrupted the goodness of coming near God to make some cash. That's gone, i.e. temptation on that day will be gone. On that day, corruption will be gone. Moral failure will be gone. Weak flesh, they're all going to be things of the past. You know that sin that you have uh, you know, repented of before and said, I'll never do that again, and yet you've done it again? On that day, it will be gone. All will be holy to the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. That day when everyone realises there is one king. The day is coming where those who war against God will be brought down. The day is coming where we will worship God and enjoy his blessings. Yeah, and like Martin Luther King's speech led to a time so full of promise and achievement you could feel it, I want to say we, we need to feel Zechariah's preaching. We need to be excited about it because we live in one sense partly experienced. We're in a, we're in a kind of period of now and not yet. The day has begun and yet it's, it's still to be completed. So you know, Christ has come. Uh, we do see people who warred against God. The nations come in and start worshipping God, but it's, but it's not complete yet. We still wait for that day and so we need to live for that day with a vision ahead of us. And let me suggest a few ways. First is, is by having hope. You know, I want, we need to be people who live for the day by being people of hope. And the more I've looked at Zechariah this week and considered uh, our society, our society is one of uncertain hope and our society is one of major disappointment. And we, we as Christians, I don't think, are immune from that kind of badly placed hope. And this coming day calls us to shift our focus away from failings and fill our minds with the great reality of what God will do. So I think Australians have, and Christians as well, have this real problem with hope that in one sense we lack ambition. I think we have hope that lacks ambition. So our hope is set really, really low. Someone shared with me how they they felt about Jesus returning and they said, yeah, they're looking forward to it, but they're actually uh, hoping and would be disappointed uh, if he came too soon, that they didn't get the chance to do certain things. So we set our hopes too low. Somehow we've come to think that our careers or our families or our holidays or our paid mortgages or our retirement hobbies will somehow prove more satisfying than the day when God reveals himself as king and the day when God destroys our enemies and the day where, where God makes us entirely holy and the, and the day where he gives us satisfaction with streams of living water. Yeah, we just have low ambitions and we need to lift them. The other problem we have, of course, is we, we put hope, too much hope on things that can't sustain the weight. Now, a Christian woman was uh, grieving because it had taken her years to fall pregnant, about four. Uh, she required IVF uh, assistance and then after that her labour was horrible. It wasn't any of the kind of plans that she'd envisaged. And, whatever. and then after that uh, her child wouldn't sleep and it was kind of disastrous and wasn't 100% well and... And I, I feel for her being at the end of her tether. 
but she now feels angry and disappointed with God for, for this whole experience being so much less than what she'd envisaged, so much less than what she'd hoped for and planned for. And sadly, I think the deep problem is that she, like many others, has invested so much in promises and hopes that God never made. You know, same thing happened after the global financial crisis. Christians were exposed for having uncertain hope rather than hope which was guaranteed because God made promises about it. So Zechariah says, no, no, aim higher, aim for quality, aim for well-founded hope. And as you do, that's going to transform we live, the way we live now. Because this day of the Lord ties together these two great themes that have been building Zechariah. It's the purification of God's people and the establishing of his reign. That is, um, purification of God's people, holiness. It brings holiness out. It also brings out the importance of mission. Let me just pick at the edges of those. Um, Reshaped hope means lives of holiness. Holiness is, is, is being set apart. In this sense, set apart for the use of the perfect, righteous, gracious God. So the final picture of Zechariah 14 is, is that everyone comes together and, and enjoys holiness. Is that kind of community. Separating ourselves from sin and the patterns of the world. And it matters now because if that's the future, why not prepare even now? If the day has begun, let's bring that day on. Let's take holiness seriously. You know, is it, is it any wonder if the future is everyone being holy that the writer of the Hebrews says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord? You know, to long for that day, to have your hope on that is to, is to want holiness now. And I do wonder just how seriously we take it. Uh, John Piper, the uh, American pastor and author, um, has taken an eight-month break from paid ministry. Now, let me clarify, he hasn't been dismissed. He still loves Jesus. He put it this way, I see several species of pride in my soul. While they may not rise to the level of disqualifying me from ministry, they grieve me and have taken a toll on my relationship with my wife and others who are dear to me. It's actually meant his, this stepping away for eight months has meant his reputation has become tarnished. I've heard people wonder whether he's still a Christian because he's taken a step aside. You know, it's a dent in his career. It's because this talented guy realises he was talented. Well, no, no, it's, it's because he takes holiness seriously. You know, and I wonder if we'd do the same, if it was a costly thing to our reputation, to be countercultural with, with lives that are noticeably strange to other peoples because we have priorities that are God's rather than the world's. But yet the day is coming, so take holiness seriously. You know, the other theme I suppose it raises for us is, is our role in establishing the rule of God in, in mission. You know, Zechariah, he's not big on imperatives. This is a much more a book about what God will do. It's not about you guys, you just haven't done enough and you know, get on with it. No, no, it's, it, we need to feel God's going to bring it about. But, but when, you, when you know the fate of those who will war against God in verse 12, when you know that the nations can actually join in by knowing who the true God is before they face him in judgment. When you hear that kind of battle language in this chapter, how would you not want to engage in bringing on the day faster by inviting others to to recognise his rule? To truly grasp the importance of this this coming day is to give ourselves over to to making Jesus known, making his kingdom known in all the nations by the power of his spirit. We we aren't just people of hope that we keep to ourselves. We we are purveyors of hope. We are are the people who actually give hope to others. You know, I've been so encouraged that uh, 
A couple from our 8am congregation uh, holidaying currently in Malaysia. They've just gone over visiting friends and family. Um, Before they went, they tracked down 200 Christian tracks in Mandarin. Uh, Because they just want to give them out to people. Uh, They so long to share the truth of Jesus with others over in Malaysia. I had a graveside conversation with someone on Friday. Uh, we just buried his relative and, and as we stood by the open grave, uh, the coffin had just been lowered. A little comment uh, stuck with me that was made. Uh, it's all theoretical till you stand here. Yeah, and it stuck with me not least because, you know, I've been thinking about the coming day of the Lord uh, from Zechariah just rattling around in my mind. Yeah, and, and we proclaim Jesus, we make it known, we, we have conversations about the true King Jesus because it's not, this day is not just theoretical, it's practical. You know, we, we talk to others of Christ, we talk to his humanity and his sacrifice and his, and his return because we're not wasting their time with interesting ideas for them to toss around. We are practically loving them, giving them real hope at the time when they will most need it. And we're very practically bringing the reality of the future to bear in the present. So the day of the Lord is coming. The day when the King, the Lord, will be seen over the whole earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord and his name only. And my final word is one for some of us here, probably all of us, certainly all of us. Make sure you're ready. Make sure you're ready for that day. Uh, J.C. Ryle's advice of how to be ready. If you've reason to hope you are ready, I advise you to make sure. Walk more closely with God. Get nearer to Christ. Seek to exchange hope for assurance. Seek to feel the witness of the Spirit more closely and distinctly every year. Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets you. Press toward the mark more earnestly. Fight a better fight and war a better warfare every year you live. Pray more, read more, mortify self more, love the brethren more. Oh, that you may endeavour so to grow in grace every year that your last things may be far more than your first and the end of your Christian course far better than the beginning. For the day of the Lord is coming. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you that you have a day prepared and you are coming. We look forward to that day and pray that it might come swiftly. Uh, Father, help us to be people of hope, people who look more to the day than the things of here and now. Father, prepare us for it. And we pray for our friends and neighbours, those around us, that they too would be well prepared for when you come and when all see that you are the true and only King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.